Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. Well, good morning. Good to see you. Uh, my name is Mike, and I'm one of the pastors here, too, and glad that you're here with us today. We're going to be going to our time of teaching in just a couple minutes, but uh, before we do that, just a couple uh, quick things. We did have an amazing week uh, this week, 24 hours of prayer uh, encounter, if you, and the walls, oh, we said it did a really fun thing. Uh, during encounter, we always have some times of kind of focused prayer, and uh, in our last time of focused prayer, rather than just praying together, we, we asked for everyone to just kind of visualize the future, uh, like what, what would you love to see God? do here uh, at Rocky Peak as we continue to unleash a movement, uh, as we carry out this assignment God is giving us to reach lost people, what would be your prayer to God that he would do here in the coming months and years as we seek him? And so we, after we kind of got that, we just said during worship, why don't you just go right on the walls? And if it was here, it was unbelievable. It was like people, several people deep, just waiting to write on the walls. And uh, it was had a lot of fun. So the, the, uh, the, the time uh, limit for prayer is not expired. So if you are not here or you didn't get a chance, uh, around the room you'll see there's these little uh, cans, they have markers on them. Feel free to, to write your prayer for the future on that. It was, just, it was a very, very special time for us. And so then secondly, um, uh, as we go through this, uh, this series, the assignment, uh, one of the key events that's going to happen is two weeks from today, we're doing baptisms. Now, as you know, Jesus said when we follow him, kind of the first step, initiation step into the movement of Jesus is that we get baptized. And so if you're here yet, you've not yet given your life to Christ, you're ready to give your life to Christ uh, now or that you have in the past, but for whatever reason you haven't taken that step, you are long overdue. And so uh, we're going to be doing baptisms in two weeks. We've already got, a, I think it's about 30 people already uh, signed up for for baptisms, and so uh, we're going to have a great time that day. And so just write on your card, baptism, uh, your Connect card, drop it in the offering. We'll, connect, we'll give you information. We'll contact you, give you information to prepare you for uh, that day. And so, uh, but right now we're going to be going into our time of teaching. And so inside of your program is a message note sheet we use every week. And for those of you who are brand new, you may not know that, but you want to reach, uh, reach in, take that out to help you follow along. And then if you guys are ready to go, I'm all set. So are you guys ready to go? All right, let's pray. God, we are just excited to be here. We're thankful for our church, what you're doing in our lives, the way you're revealing yourself, the way you're um, capturing our hearts, the way that you are uh, unleashing your, your spirit in our lives, transforming us from the inside out, and then uh, increasingly gives us a passion for those who don't know you to help be that bridge that, that helps people make that journey to faith. And so we pray today as we, we continue to talk about this assignment and, and, and what it looks like to carry out this assignment you've given us. We pray that you give us great clarity, give me the right words, uh, strengthen my voice, be with us as a church, that we'd, we'd be gathering around you to hear what your spirit would say to our, to our church. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you've been here the last several weeks, you know that we're in the midst of a series. It's called The Assignment, Unleashing the Movement. But if you're, you're brand new, uh, I always like to take just a minute or two and, and kind of quickly bring you up to speed. This series, the assignment, there's really kind of two parts to this assignment. Uh, one part just flows out of the final words of Jesus in Matthew 28, where he said, uh, as, he, as he left planet Earth, he turned over the movement to us as his church, and he said, uh, here's my assignment. I want you to go into all the world. I want you to share the message of my life, my death, my resurrection. I want you to call people to follow me, and, and when they're ready to do that, baptize them. It's kind of the first step into the movement of Jesus, and then teach them how to obey, how to follow everything that I've taught you, how to live this new, new life. And so, so that's the assignment he's given us as a church, and we're really focusing in, and we're asking this question in our life, what does it look like? 
like to follow Jesus in our own lives and as a church in carrying out this assignment of, as Jesus defined it, of seeking and saving the lost. And so that's kind of the part one of this. The second part of the assignment is a specific assignment that we believe God is giving us as a church specifically, and that's to enlarge and to refresh our campus uh, for the people that God is bringing. We're, we're growing, we're running out of space, it's time to fix it up, and so we're gonna be enlarging and refreshing that uh, so we can join him in this larger assignment to, to, to bring people far from, from Christ to come to know him. And so there's been these two parts, and so the first part, the first three and a half weeks of this series, we focused on what does it look like to be a church joining Jesus in his mission to seek and save uh, lost people. Uh, this last week, about halfway through, we began to transition to the second part, what does it look like to refresh and enlarge our campus for the people God is bringing. And that's the part we're going to be continuing on today, that second part. And, and the name of this, the title of this message is Creating Space for God. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at a, a great passage of Scripture in the Old Testament. It's in the book of Haggai. And so I'd like you to take your Bibles uh, and turn there, or if, if you've got an iPad or a phone, it'd be much easier. Um, for those of you who, who uh, are, actually have a Bible, you're flipping through, uh, hot tip is Haggai is between Zechariah and Zephaniah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let me give you another hot tip. <laughs> Table of contents. <laughs> Table of contents. The reason God put it in is for moments like this. Like Haggai, are you serious? That's part of the Bible? I've never heard of that. Uh, yes, it really is, not Apocrypha, uh, it's Haggai. And there in your note sheet is a section called Haggai's Story, putting first things first. And so let me, let me tell you his story. And as you're flipping there, I figure it'd take about 15 minutes for you to find this. Um, so I've kind of rearranged my message. Uh, so let me, let me just set the stage for this. Um, uh, Haggai was a man who lived uh, about, about 500 years before Jesus. And uh, so, so here's what's going on. Uh, the year is 520 BC. Uh, Israel has just recently, about 15, 20 years earlier, came back from exile in Babylon. They've come back to the promised land. Now most of the nation has not come back. Uh, most of the nation was born in Babylon grew up in Babylon, went to Babylon High. Uh, they, they love, they got a nice house in Babylon, nice little subdivision. They have no interest in going back to this third-rate, run-down, burned-out uh, land of Palestine that God had given. But about 40,000 people hear the call of God, and they make a 1,000 a thousand-mile trek, long, hard trek, back to the land that God had given to the nation. And so when they first get back to the, the land, you, you can imagine they're pretty passionate about this. It's like, this is the land God gave to our forefathers. It's a promised land. And, and we're getting back on track spiritually as a nation. And they come before God and they God, we just really want to seek you. And this time we don't want to screw it up like last time. It was because of our disobedience we, we went into exile. We want to really seek you and, and put you first. And so when they come back to the land, one of the first projects they, they take on immediately is they want to rebuild the temple. The temple in the year 586 had been totally leveled by the Babylonians, and so it was destroyed. And so they, they wanted to kind of rebuild uh, the temple and so that there'd be a place to seek God as a, as a nation, a place to put God at the center of their, their lives, a place to, to seek him, pursue him, grow, experience God, and a place in, for, for the nations of the world to come and to learn about the true God. And so they came back and their priorities were right on target. But along the way, after they came back, they began to get distracted. And I don't know if you've ever had this happen in your life. 
Uh, just a little integrity check there. Uh, and so maybe you've had this happen where, where God's moving in your life in a new way. He, he, he has clear vision for your life, a clear vision of here's what it looks like to follow me. You're really passionate about it. You start growing spiritually. You get back on track. And then somewhere along the line, you drift and you get off. Remember that series we did at the beginning of the year, Putting First Things First. And we, we drift and all of a sudden we wake up and we're in a far and distant land and, and we're not putting first things first and we're far from God. And, and so God has to send a messenger or a message into our life calling us back. And so that's what's going on here. It's, it's now the year 520 B.C., um, and, and the nation of Israel, they, they came back, they did this big fundraising drive, they get all this money together to rebuild the temple, to put first things first, but, but then they get distracted. One of the things they get distracted with is their own homes. They, they, just, they get into remodeling, building and remodeling their own homes, and that becomes more important than remodeling God's home. And so as the story opens, catch this, they've been, they started the project 15 years before, but it's not progressed at all for 15 years the temple has been laying in ruins while they're fixing up their own homes. And so God sends a man named Haggai, just like bummer of a name, but he sends this man named Haggai, and maybe it was cool then, you know, call him Hag for short, I, I don't know. Uh, HG, I, I, I don't know. But anyway, uh, so they, God raises up this prophet named Haggai to speak, and, and that's where we're breaking in. So it's 520 BC, all right? So here we go. Okay, I've, I've stalled as long as I can. If you haven't found it by this time, yes, yes, there's no, no hope for you. All right. Uh, chapter one and verse one. Um, in, the, in the second year of King Darius, King Darius was the emperor over the Persian empire that, that now uh, Israel was part of, and he was the, the major superpower of the day. So in the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, now I want you to write a date down, um, th this you can write it in your Bible. I've got it in my Bible. You might want to write it on uh, uh, your note sheet, but it's August the 29th, 520 BC. And that's important. That's going to be an important date, all right? So August 29th. So we, we actually know historically the exact date. And so on August the 29th, um, that the word of the Lord through the prophet Haggai comes to two of the great leaders, two, two leaders of the people of Israel. The first one, his name is Zerubbabel. He's the son of Sheltiel, and he's the governor of Judah. So he's the political leader of the nation. Um, and then it comes also to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak. He's the high priest. So you catch this, the, the political leader and the spiritual leader. God sends a message through the prophet Haggai for the nation. And so this is what the Lord Almighty says, verse 2. It says, these people, talking about the people of Israel, these people, here's what they're saying, the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built, okay? So, so here's catch this. They've been back working on this project for 15 years. They started 15 years ago. 15 years ago, they did the fundraiser. They ordered the supplies, and nothing has happened for 15 years. They've gotten seriously sidetracked. And yet what they're saying is, yeah, we know it's important. We know, it, we know we need to do it. It's just not the right time right now, okay? They're, they're procrastinating. And so here's what God says. He says that the word of the Lord, verse 3, comes, comes through the prophet Haggai. He says, seriously, oh, that's in the Hebrew. Uh, seriously, uh, is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house, you know, the temple, remains a ruin? So they've gotten really sidetracked. And, 
And so instead of taking their finances, investing in their priorities of kind of God's house, they'd gotten sidetracked just fixing up their, their own homes, adding on room additions, getting the flat screen, whatever it was. And so anyway, verse 5. So this is what the Lord Almighty says. I want you to give careful thought to your ways. Now we're going to see that phrase three times today. But God says, I want you to think about your life. Have you ever, you ever just, you get, so, you get so busy in life, you never have time to think about your life and how it's working out. And so, so here's what had happened. They came back to the promised land. They realized it was burned out shambles. But what they were trusting is that God had always promised in his word, if you seek me and put me first, I'll bless you in every way. And, and along with that includes financially, right? And so they're coming back with high hopes that as they seek God and put him first, that He's going to bless them. Their crops are going to prosper and so on, rich harvest. But the reality is they've been back in the land for 15 or 20 years and they're financially broke. They're going through a time of recession, a time of maybe even depression, financial depression. <coughs> and life is really hard. And so God says, I want you to think about that. I, I want you to think about your life. Give careful thought to like why this might be happening. Okay. And so then he goes on. And he says, here's your situation. Verse six, you have planted much. In other words, so, so they're working hard. They're, they're, di they're, they're digging up lots of fields. They're planting lots. So it's not like they have a work ethic issue. You've planted much, but you've harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but they're not warm. In other words, there's, there's not enough. You don't have enough clothes to keep you warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Is that good? You, you kind of relate to this? You feel this? Basically, what God is saying is you're working really hard, but you never have enough and you can never get ahead. He says, I want you to think about that. I want you to think about like, why that may be. And so, in case they're not going to come up with the right answer, he's going to give them the right answer. Verse 7, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Think about it. Here's what you need to do. Go up to the mountains, bring down timber, and build the house. Okay? Get back to the basics. Put first things first. My house is in shambles. Build the house. And he says, so that I may take pleasure in it, I'll be pleased and I'll be honored, says the Lord. He says, Here, here's the situation. When you came back, you expected much. But see, it's turned out to be little. What you brought home, your take-home pay, what you brought home, says, I blew away. That's interesting. Up to this point in the story, you would almost assume, I'm sure they were assuming, there's no rain, our crops aren't coming in, pests are devouring, where does the money go? They're kind of assuming this is just random life. It's just the way life's work. A bummer. We've just had all these seasons of drought. Just too bad it hasn't worked out. God help us, right? They're just assuming this is just how life works. It's just like bad breaks, bad economy, right? But what God's saying is, no, no, I'm behind this. That, that I'm actually behind the bad economy. That, that what I'm trying to do is to get your, get your attention as a nation. I'm trying to bring you back to me. Does this sound familiar? Yes. I, I'm trying to get, I'm using your finances to get your attention, okay? 
And so, so then he goes on and he says, um, he says in verse, uh, middle of verse nine, so I blew it away. He says, why? Why did I blow it away? Declares the Lord Almighty. Because of my house, which remains a ruin 15 years later, while each of you is busy with your own house. So they've gotten distracted. And, and instead of really putting first things first in all the areas of their life, but including financially and creating space for God in the center of their nation, instead of doing that, they've, they've gotten diverted. They're, they're all focused on their own pursuits and their toys or whatever they are they're doing. He says, therefore, verse 10, because of you, okay, your choice. It's not random. It's not just like been a bad El Nino or what, you know. It's like, now, he says, because of you, uh, your choices, uh, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. He said, I called for the drought on the fields. Like, I'm the one behind this. And the mountains and on the grain and on the new wine and on the oil and whatever the ground produces, on men and on cattle and on the labor of your hands. And so what God is saying is that one of the things we, we learn in the Bible is that God is like a father. He loves us very much, but one of the marks of a great father is he disciplines us when we're out of line to bring us back. And so what God is saying is that I'm, I'm the one. I, I'm disciplining. I'm bringing you under judgment to, to discipline, to, to bring you back to, to me, to get you back on track. Now, here's the, the question. The question is, how is Israel going to respond? And now, we've all been there, haven't we? Maybe the issue isn't finances. Maybe it is. Maybe it's a difference. We've all been there. We've all had times in our life we've been walking well with God, really pursuing him, have gotten distracted, and God sends someone to our life, a message, a sermon, a book, a friend, to bring us back and say, you're off track. Here's why. And the question is always, how do we respond when God speaks? Because the, if we respond to his discipline, then we get back on track and then we start growing and we, we're, we live a blessed life again, right? But if we reject it, then we, we, the life gets worse. And so the question is, how will Israel respond? And if you know anything about the nation of Israel, you know they have a very bad track record when it comes to prophets. They're not just, when God sends prophets, they don't typically listen to prophets in fact, that's why they ended up going into exile for 70 years and losing the whole promised land, the temple being destroyed, because rejecting the word of the prophets over and over. Now they're back in the land, and this is a big test. How will this time they respond to the rebuke from the prophet? And here's the beautiful thing. This is one of the few times in the Old Testament you see Israel respond beautifully. And they absolutely get it. And they, they listen to this. They, they sense God is in this. And they totally turn around and repent. And they begin to pursue God. And so if you look at verse 12. So Zerubbabel, remember he's the, the political leader. And Joshua, remember he's the high priest, the spiritual leader. And the whole remnant of the people, the whole, the whole uh, nation that's come back, which is a small portion of the overall, overall nation in Babylon. But the whole remnant of people, they, they obey the voice of Yahweh their God and the message of the prophet Haggai because uh, Yahweh, the Lord, their God, had sent him. They, they recognized, man, this is from the Lord. And, and so the people feared Yahweh. They remember, remember the Lord, all caps, always Yahweh. So, so, they, they, so, so the people, they fear Yahweh, which is a, a biblical way of saying they, they let God be God. They come under his leadership. They honor him. 
And so if you skip to verse 14, so Yahweh stirs up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the political leader, and, the, and, they, and they stirs up the spirit of Joshua, the spiritual leader, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. Like, like they're just all, they're just cut to the heart. Like, wow, we, we get it. We see this. Life now makes sense. We, we've not put God at the center of our nation. We, we've not built his house. We've been distracted. We've spent our finances the wrong way. And so we, we need to come back. And they, they, God just stirs supernaturally, speaks to their heart, stirs them up in a beautiful way, and they respond. And so then in the middle of that verse, it says, so they came and they began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God. Uh, verse 15, on, catch this, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. Now I want you to write a date down. Second important date is September 21st, 520 BC. Okay, September 21st. So if you do the math, it's been about three weeks since Haggai first came with his first message. And so three weeks later, they're ready to build. I'm sure it took them some time to order some supplies, to come up with some plans. But they, right away, they begin to obey. So, so here's what happens. So the question is, so, okay, so now they're being obedient, right? So how does God respond? Does he start blessing them? Answer is no, he doesn't. What God does is he waits a few months to see if they're serious. And there is a powerful lesson in here. I don't know how many times I've talked to people, they said, you know, I was off track and then I went through these horrible hard times and then I, I repented, I came back to God, I got back on track, but I mean, I've been following for three months now and my life hasn't changed yet, right? Guess what's going on? God's saying, I wanna see how serious you are. I wanna see whether you're following me because you really wanna honor me or whether you're following me just to get out of a jam. And so what happens is God sits back for four months and he watches to see what happens. And after four months, he says, you know what? These people are serious about following me. And so write this next date down. On December the 18th, 520 BC, God speaks through Haggai again and, and basically says, I've been watching for these last four months. I can see you're serious. And so up to this point, your life situation hasn't changed. Your cupboards are still bare. Your crops are still bad. But from this point on, I will bless you. It's really beautiful. I want you to see this. It's in chapter 2 and verse 18. So in 218, it says, From this day on, from the 24th day of the ninth month, and so that's that December 18th, 520 B.C., he says, give careful thought, third time he said this, to the, to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, which was September 21st. We already have that day. He says, I want you to think back. He says, give careful thought. Here's this question. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? And the answer is no. It's like they're, they're broke still. Until now, he says, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. So they, they started obeying September 21st, but life hasn't changed financially for them. Uh, in these months, harvest is still not coming in. But he says, but now from this day on, I will what? I will bless you, okay? And so, so it's, I, I love this story for, for several reasons. Um, 
but it's an amazing account. I, I think one of the reasons I love it is because what it teaches about our spiritual life and how at times we're really walking with God and then we get off track somehow and how God, because of his love, he sends someone a message, a book. He somehow, the Holy Spirit, he begins to speak in a and call us out and say, hey, life is not going well for you. The reason is because I'm sending these hard times. I'm trying to bring you back. And that on those days in our life, they're really, I like to call them destiny days. That when God shows up in our life and he says, hey, this is why life is not going well, and, and he says, you're going the wrong way, we have to decide whether to go right or left on those days. We have to decide whether to follow or not. And, and those are destiny days. That what we decide those days determine our destiny, right? And so I, I love this story. And then I love God's grace because here's a nation totally screwed up and neglected him for 15 years. But once they get back on track, he just sees four months of that. He says, okay, good. We're good to go. I'm back blessing you again. And you see God's grace because I, I don't care. Like if you're here, I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what your life is. I don't care how far from God or how much you've screwed up. Do you realize God loves you? He's got a plan for you. And, and and all he's waiting for is for you to come under his leadership again. And once he sees you're serious about that, he will come and he will lead you and he will bless you. And so I love this, this, this whole story because it's just a, a microcosm of our spiritual life and how it works, okay? But I love it for another reason and I love it for, for what, what it says to us in the midst of this assignment that we're in right now. And so I wanna talk about, but there's kind of one major spiritual life principle that's huge uh, that's so critical for us at this time in our, our church's life. And it's there on your note sheet, <laughs> and it's uh, under this section called The Assignment Space for God. And so let me just roll it out for you, give you the principle, and then uh, let's talk about it. Now here's the principle. The principle we see today in Haggai is that creating space for God, in other words, a place where we can gather, meet, seek God, learn, grow, be transformed, invite people who don't know Christ, that creating space for God, it's a high calling, that it's a high and holy, that there are times in, in, the, in the life of God's people where God says, I'm calling you at this season to create space for me. A space where you can meet, where I can meet with you. You can seek me. I can speak into your life. You can invite your friends to come and meet me. There's, there's certain times and seasons where God says, I'm calling you to create space for me. And, and that when God calls, that those are high and holy times in our spiritual life, that they're critical seasons. Uh, you see this throughout the Bible. Uh, remember, the nation of Israel comes out of Egypt. And, and one of the first things that happens is God meets him at Mount Sinai. And, and one of the first things God says is, I want you to create space for me. I want you to create a, a tent. You all live in tents, so I want you to create a special tent. We call it the tabernacle. I want it to be right in the center of your nation. Three tribes to the north, three to the south, three to the east, three to the west. I want to dwell with you is what God said. I want to, so I want you to create space. And so the, from chapter like 23 of Exodus to chapter 40, I mean 17 chapters, 18, like most of those chapters are about creating this space and how to create this space. And it was a, a very special time in Israel's history. You fast forward again to now uh, about four or 500 years, Israel's in the promised land. They've come to a place of power. King David's on the throne. His son Solomon's about to take over. God calls him, now I want you to create a permanent place, no longer a tabernacle. I want you to create a permanent temple where you can come and seek me as a nation, where my word can be taught, where the nations can come to learn about the true God. And so this is really important. So this major project creates space for God. 
we, we move forward about 500 years to our story today, the story of Haggai. They come back from uh, exile. First priority, the temple's been destroyed. First priority is create a space for God where we could meet and seek God. And so we saw today how important that was to God. That's why he's upset with them uh, that they, they got out this priority. Move to the New Testament now. And this is surprising. We often think of building projects in the Old Testament. Move to the New Testament. Look at the life of Jesus and, and the role that space and place played in his spiritual life. Uh, Jesus grew up going to synagogue every week, learning the, the Torah, learning, learning about God. Uh, every year he'd go down at least once a year with his family to temple to, to worship the, the sacrifices. Uh, when Jesus begins his ministry, where does he start it? He starts it in synagogues. Uh, he, he, that, that's where he launches his ministry. And then as he goes down to Jerusalem, where do you find him? He's always in the temple teaching space and place for the movement of God to go, to go forth from. You go to Acts chapter one. Acts chapter one, the launch of the, new, of the early church. 3,000 people come to Christ on the first day. Where do you put 3,000 people to meet? They move in the temple, into the, temp, the temple courts. Massive complex, one of the wonders of the ancient world. So cool, you could get 5,000 people in one place under Solomon's colonnade there, and you could do teaching, and you could do worship. But of course, that wasn't enough. They needed small groups. They needed more space in place, so they met in homes as well. So they kind of break, branch out into homes. Then when the gospel of Jesus starts going out in the Roman world, like with the apostle Paul, where does he meet? He always starts his ministry. If there's a synagogue in town, he always starts at the synagogue. He goes and teaches where the people of God are meeting. When they get rejected, they move out to homes. In the Roman Empire, many people don't know this. They say, well, in the early church, they didn't have church buildings. Of course they didn't. It was illegal. And so they couldn't build church buildings, so they had to get creative. So, for example, in Acts chapter 17, uh, when Paul is in ministering in Ephesus for three years, he rents out a major lecture hall of a very famous teacher named Tyrannus. And, and so every afternoon during siesta time, the Christians would meet in the lecture hall of Tyrannus and he would teach them. You follow what I'm saying here? That, that as, as, Christ, as followers of Jesus, we don't need a special place. Like we, we don't need a, a temple anymore. We don't need, um, we don't need a, uh, we don't have to go to Jerusalem anymore. We don't need a fancy cathedral tomorrow. But the movement of Jesus always needs space and place. There's, there's gotta be a place to meet, to grow, to seek God, to learn, to be transformed, to raise our families and to invite people to come and see, to carry out the assignment that God's given us. And so what you see then is that for every church, every church in every generation, they, they go through critical seasons in the life of their history where it's a Haggai moment. It, it's a time where God says, it's time, it's this place, it's this space, it's time to create space for me in the center of your community where you can seek me. And, and so, for example, the church of Rocky Peak is no different. Like, we're, as a church, we've gone through several critical seasons in the history of our church. Like, like I realize here that for, for most of us here have not been here that long. I mean, I've only been here seven years. Uh, probably most of you have been here less than me. Uh, a lot of you have just been here the last year or two, uh, maybe even a few months. Uh, there's a few of you who have been here from the very beginning, but that's not a, a large number. And so, so some of you know the whole story of this church. Most of us don't. And so I want to take us just a five or ten minutes. I want, I want to take us on a little mem uh, walk down memory lane here. And, and I want to talk about some of the Haggai moments in the life of this church. All right? So, so let's go back to 1977. 
It was in the summer of 1977 that God raised up a small group of visionary leaders to start a new church in the San Fernando Valley. And, and, and so in the summer of 77 was the very first services of this church. That very first weekend, about 325 people showed up and the church was born. And, and so uh, one, of the, one, of the key, one of the key things that happened in that church, about a year in, they called their first pastor. And, and, and it was very fortuitous. I mean, you can see God's hand in this. The man that God called to be the very first pastor of this church was a very well-known pastor in, in the United States. He was a nationally known guy. He had led one of the, the largest megachurches uh, in the United States. Uh, it, it was, uh, and back in that day, the way you'd often measure the size of churches is by the number of your Sunday school. How many people are in your Sunday school? And in and, and that day, that the Sunday school at this church was, was one of the top 10 Sunday schools in the United States. So it was, like, it was one of the most influential churches in the United States. And it was right here in the San Fernando Valley, right? And some of you were there. Some of you went to church there. Some of you were little kids there. Some of you served there. It was called Van Nuys First Baptist Church, right? How many of you were actually a part of Van Nuys? Can I see your hands? Nice and proud. Great heritage there. I see some hands. Yeah, probably what, 20, 30 hands maybe? Okay. So, um, so he had led this megachurch. And then what happened is that he felt God was calling him to the East Coast to, uh, to lead a college there uh, in, in Rhode Island. And so he was gone for a couple years. Well, it was during those years that this church was planted. Now I'm going to call this church the Church of Rocky Peak because that's how we know it. It actually had a longer name uh, back in those days. If it was so long, you couldn't put it on a business card. And so fortunately, they changed the name. Uh, but it was called Faith Evangelical Church of the San Fernando Valley. The nice ring to it, huh? Uh, so anyway, so uh, I'm just going to call it Rocky Peak. So, so anyway, that, that church starts in the 70s. Like uh, lots of churches that start, th there's a church on the move. They, because you don't have a building. You don't have space. And so it starts off, you know, a woman's club, uh, uh, Granada Hills High School, uh, moving to, uh, uh, to uh, uh, other churches, renting out other churches, eventually landing at CSUN and, and meeting at CSUN for several years, okay? So, so this new pastor comes a year in, uh, nationally known guy, guy with big vision, and guess what? For years, he's been praying behind the scenes. He's been praying that one day, God would raise up a major, large church to have huge impact in the northwest corner of the San Fernando Valley so it could reach both San Fernando Valley and Simi Valley. Now catch this, this is back in the 70s. Simi wasn't even part of the United States at this point. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like they were still carrying, they were still packing Guns, they're packing heat. Like, to go into see me, you had to have a rifle and a, a pickup truck back then, right? I've heard stories, right? All right. I live there, by the way. I love see me. Uh, but, but, but anyway, uh, all right, so, so, so God, here's this visionary leader that has been praying for years, God will create a, a large major church in the northwest corner of the, so, and, and then God brings him back to be part of this church as the first pastor. You see, from the very beginning, I believe God has put it in the DNA of his church. This, this, this church has been created by God to have influence, especially in these two valleys that we serve significant major influence. And, and so 
first Haggai moment. We're going we're fa- to fast forward now. We're going to fast forward to, uh, to 1980, first Haggai moment. In the years before that, uh, a property becomes available here in Chatsworth, 77 acres of land in the San Fernando Valley. Like, like who's ever heard of such a thing? And, and this small group of visionary leaders, they, they feel like God's putting on their heart, that's the property for our church. It's a huge vision. It's an expensive vision. You know, the stories that, that I've heard from Pastor Mac, who I consider a reliable source, uh, that, that according to Pastor Mac, that, that in order for the bank to loan the church that much money, because the church was so you know, small, it was, a, it was a risk thing, the, the bank required that 10 couples in Rocky Peak put their own houses on the line as collateral in order to make that loan. From my understanding, what he's told me is that two of those couples are still here. He said, I can't tell you who they are. They don't want to know. I wish I knew. I'd bring them up here and honor them. But that's a big step, isn't it? It was a Haggai moment. 77 acres of land for a small church to buy. People were going to have to scrap. They were going to have to sacrifice. They were going to have to give generously. It was a big vision. And they answered the call. And we got the land. Let's fast forward. Second Haggai moment. 1988. The years before that. Been at season for a long time. It's time we need our own place. It's going to be a big project. It's going to take lots of money. It's going to develop this property. To put the buildings on there. And in 1988. That group of visionary believers. They embraced their Haggai moment. And they sacrificed, and they gave, and they built. And so not this building, but every other building on our campus in 88. They had their first services here. It was the second Haggai moment. Third Haggai moment is in 1998. The church is now growing. It's expanding. They're doing tons of services. They want to reach more people for Christ. And so we're going to have to build a new worship center. It's going to be larger than, than the old worship center. It's going to be expensive. It's going to be a, a big step. But it's a Haggai moment. And they respond. And people sacrifice. And people give. And they come together. And this worship center was built in 1998. Now here's what I want you to catch, men and women. Because of, I, I'm going to call those three generations. I realize that it's really not like length of time, but they're different, they're different groups of people were here at different times. I'm going to call them three generations. Because of those three generations, and because the church answered the call on those three Haggai moments, I want you to catch this. Because of them, we are here today. Yeah. Be- because they sacrificed and they gave we're here today. Be- because of them, there are many of you who've just come to Christ the last couple of years. It's like, because of them, you're here today. It- it's because of them that many of you have raised kids here. It's because of them, some of you have met your spouse here. For, for some of you, you've buried loved ones here. Be- because of them, we've met Jesus here. We've experienced his presence We've experienced his transforming power. We've had friends come to Christ here. We've been baptized here. We've learned how to follow Jesus here. Marriages have been healed here. Addictions have been overcome here. 
The power of God has fallen here because of the generations that have gone before us. Do you understand this? And this is the thing, when you come into a church, you never look at it this way. It's just the church, it's just the buildings, it's just the way things are. Most people don't think back. Most people never say, like, like who gave to make this possible? Like, who, how did this building happen? We just come in. We just come in, and, and we love it, and we love the worship, we get the teaching, and our kids love it, and we, and we, we just kind of, we become in, we, we forget. And that's just the way life is. And can I tell you something, that in the years to come, there will be hundreds and thousands of people that come to this place that meet Christ, that have their lives transformed, that meet their spouse, that raise their kids, the marriage is healed, and it's gonna happen because we're here, because this is our Haggai moment. You see? Yeah. So, so the question for us is really the same question that was before Israel on August the 29th in 520 BC. It's the same question. The question for us is, will you respond and carry out the assignment I'm giving you? God says, will you respond to the challenge? It's the same exact question. It's the question that every church has to answer at critical junctures in their history. Can I tell you something? Some churches don't answer the call. And they fail in their, their mission. And there's some churches that do. And they thrive. And they soar. And people come to Christ. And lives are changed. And generations are changed. as families are changed. And so the question before us is, how do we respond to our Haggai moment? And so there on your note sheet, I want to talk with you for just a little bit about this challenge that's before us. There's a section there called The Assignment, The Challenge. And let me say this. As we enter into this section here, I, I realize today that you may, there may be some people here, you may be one of them, that you're here for the very first time. Every week at every service, we have people here for the very first time. And, and so if you're here for the very first time, I want to do a couple things. I want to, first of all, welcome you. Secondly, I want to tell you that you've come at a very special season of our church. Like, I wish I could be you. Just to be here at this season, get front row seats on something that God is doing, it's amazing. Uh, but at the same time, I want to be clear that this challenge and this assignment that I'm about to talk about, this is really not your challenge and it's not your assignment. You're here trying to decide to be part, whether God is calling you to be part of this church. You, you may be here just checking out Jesus. You're just not even sure if you, you want to follow, but just something's drawing you here. And, and so if that's you, what I'm saying is, I just want you to sit back, take it all in, enjoy what's about to happen. But this is not about for you. This is not your assignment. This is not your challenge. Uh, God may call you here, and if you are, there'll be plenty of time to serve, to give, and to pray if God calls you to join us. But right now, if you're a guest, Sit back and watch. Right now, it's time for family business. Right now. Right, right now, I want to speak to those of you that you call Rocky Peak your home. Um, this is the place you grow. It's the place you seek God. It's the place you raise your kids. It's the place you learn how to love your wife. And for this series, most of all, it's the place you're going to bring your friends, your one lives. And if that's you, if this is your home, 
then I want to talk about the challenge of this assignment that God is putting in front of us. Now, if you were here last week, um, I, I talked about this project of, of the campus. I talked about the cost. I'm not going to go into all that. If you weren't here, please go online, download it, audio vision version, video version, get up to speed. Out in the lobby, last week we gave out some brochures, some FAQ thing, uh, sheets. Uh, so pick up those, you'll be going to get up to speed. But for those of us who are here, we, we know, we, we, we know the broad brush of, of this assignment that, that God is giving us. And so what I want to do is, 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 is I want to begin to challenge you now. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I, I want to ask you to go with me on a journey this week. And it's going to be a prayer journey. And, and what I'm going to ask you to do is, is now's the time we have to decide as a church, this is our Haggai moment. We have to respond we have to decide how we're going to respond personally to this assignment God is giving us. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is to begin to pray with me this week that God will show you specifically what he's calling you to do financially to carry out this assignment he's giving all of us as a church. And, and what I want to do is I've created a couple forms for you uh, to help just guide your prayer time. And so if you look inside your program... I want you to pull them out. They, they're both branded the assignment. There's a triangle, a larger sheet. There's a smaller fold, uh, folded sheet. Let's, let's start with the triangle. Last week, <coughs> I'll wait till you get them. I thought if you're Haggai, you'd be faster on the draw. <laughs> um, Last week, I, I gave you this triangle, and, and what this triangle represents is the type of gifts from a congregation the size of ours that consultants would say that this would be the type of gifts, the number and the type, that it would take to, to, to raise about $5 million. Now, remember that our consultants have talked to us, and they said, we've, we've done a financial research on your, your church and, and the giving patterns, and we believe that if everyone catches the vision, everyone gives generously as God leads, that, that over a three-year period of time, and that's what we're looking for, a three-year commitment, over a three-year period of time, we believe that your church will be able to, um, to, to raise about $5 million over, uh, over and above their normal giving over the three years of time. And so that's what this represents. This represents what the gifts would look like uh, for, for uh, a three-year kind of pledge, three-year commitment uh, for $5 million. Now, remember, I also said last week that the cost of the project is hovering about $7 million, a couple million more. And so, so what I told you is that the consultants are quick to say that, to, that this is a rule of thumb, the $5 million, and that the reality is God often blows the top off. We saw that a couple years ago. We went through our Freedom Fund whole experience. And so, so it's a rule of thumb. And so, so what we're doing is we're saying, well, here's $5 million. That's what $5 million looks like. We're, we're targeting five. We're praying for seven. We're going to see what, what God does. And so as you look at this, you'll see there's a wide variety of types of gifts. At the top of this, you'll see the very top lead gift is listed at a couple hundred thousand. Now, frankly, if you're going to raise more than $500,000, you are probably going to need some larger gifts than that. But this is a $5, a $5 million thing. So, so that kind of gives you the top. At the bottom, you see the, the, the lowest gift we have in there is $1,000 over three years. If you do the math on that, that comes out to $7 a week. And so what we wanted to have on this triangle is we want to have a place for everyone. 
Because the reality is here in our church that we all have different amounts of assets, different levels of income. And what's important is not so much how much we give, and I want you to hear this. What's important is that we listen to God and we do what he asks. That's what's important. And so we all have different resources. So like there on your note sheet, if you go back to your note sheet for a second, you see this verse that we studied last summer when we were in our series on 2 Corinthians. Remember, we were teaching through the whole book, but we came to chapters 8 and 9, which was on the power of giving. It was all about giving and generosity. And, and we went back to 1 Corinthians for this verse, and he says, there's what Paul says. It was a fundraising drive that he was leading. He says, here's what you should do. Each one of you, and so catch this, every one, no, no exceptions, even though the church of Corinth was struggling. There's a lot of poor people there, but he says, Every one of you, each one of you, should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his what? Income, okay? And so, so this is the rules of the game. This is how, as a church, we don't all give the same We don't because we have different amounts of, of resources. But Paul says when it comes to giving, everyone gets on the bus, everyone goes to God, everyone asks, and then gives as God kind of leads them. But there are going to be different amounts according to your income. And so, uh, so... So that's, uh, that's card number one. That's, that's our, our, our triangle. And so the challenge would be that, that you would go before God and pray about this and that we want to have everyone take the journey with us because it's a spiritual journey. It's not just a financial journey. It's an issue of will we respond to the assignment and we want everyone who calls church home, uh, Rocky Peak home, say, yes, Lord, I'm, I'm in. And so I will give as you lead, okay? The second, the second card then is this uh, the folded card, and this is, uh, this is a commitment card. And so when you come next week as part of our service, it won't be the major part of the service, but it will be part of the service, where well, we will ask you to fill out this card. And in it, there's three things that we're gonna be, three, three major things we're gonna ask for. Number one, there's gonna be a box there. We're gonna say, how much, as you've prayed about this, how much do you feel God is calling you to give total amount over the three years? That's gonna, you're gonna put that in one of the boxes. The second box is we're going to ask you, how much do you believe God is calling you to give up front? Because here's what's going to happen. Next week, we're turning in our commitments. The following week is called First Fruits Weekend, and we're going to actually make our first gifts of the commitment. Now, uh, obviously, the more money that we can give up front, the better in terms of the project, the faster we can carry. So if you have that capacity, fine. Some people will, some people won't. But we'll be asking you of that, of that initial gift you're going to make, how much is that going to be? What, what's that? What do you feel God's calling you to there? The third thing we're going to ask you is as you look over this, how do you plan to fulfill your commitment? Will you be giving on a weekly basis, a biweekly basis, a monthly basis, an annual basis? The only reason I'm giving you this is that I would like you to pray over this this week. As you're praying over what God wants you to do, pray over how he wants you to do that as well so that next week when you come, you're not surprised. We're not suddenly giving you a card five minutes to fill it out. You, you've, you know what we're asking. You know exactly what we're asking and you, you can be uh, prepared for that. And so here's what I'm gonna ask then. What, what I'm gonna ask is that you, you go through this two-step process that we learned about last summer in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Remember the Apostle Paul said, he, he, he gives us, here's how to give. He gives a two-step process. Step number one is that we go before God and we give ourselves to God. Do you remember that piece from the summer? We go over, we give ourselves, so in other words, we go before God and we say, we, we remind ourselves and we remind God that we belong to you. You died for us, I live for you. And so all that I have, uh, all that I own doesn't really belong to me. I'm not an owner, I'm a manager, I'm a steward. And so God, I, I'm just coming before you. I'm giving myself to you completely. 
Now, as my leader, I'm asking you, second step, what do you want me to give? So first step is you give yourself to God. Second step is you ask him, what does he want you to give? And then you just give as he, he leads. Now, here's what I expect. What I expect as we go through this process is that imagine a spectrum here that God is gonna say different things to different people this week. Like for some of us, that what God is gonna ask you to do, he's gonna give you a lower number than you would expect, okay? He's gonna give a lower number than maybe you would have given in the past. He's gonna give you a lower number than you would like to give. You're gonna go and you say, God, I'm just, I'm all in on this thing. I get the vision. I wanna help uh, reach people for Christ. It's a Haggai moment. It's a critical season. I wanna be one of those people that helps. I'm all in, God, and so I want to give generously. And God's gonna say, no, I want you to give this much, not this much, okay, a lower number. And here's what I wanna say to you. If God gives you a lower number than you want to give, you need to embrace that number. This is your assignment. This is what God's called you to do. Because there'll be a different season in your life. There'll be another time he asks you to do more. But in this season, it's what he asks. And probably, if that's the case, the reason is you're going through some very difficult circumstances. Some of you here are out of work. You're going through, you're having a hard time putting food on the table. And so you might say, I want you to give generously. I want you to do that. But the number is going to be small. Because remember what we learned last summer, that when God measures a gift, he measures not how much we give, but how much it costs us to give. And if we don't have much, but we're giving generously out of what we have, God, to God, that's as much as the biggest gift, okay? So, so for some of us, I believe it. That will be what he says. And if that's what he says, then you just need to embrace that because the reality is he's gonna give each of us a different message. And what's important is we just all do what he asks us to do. If we all do what he asks us to do, we'll have everything we need to carry out what he wants us to accomplish, Okay? So, so if you're in that end of the spectrum, don't feel bad about that. I know some of you, so my heart goes out to you. You are givers. You love Christ. Your heart's passionate about this. You want to give the shirt off your back, and God's gonna say, not that much this time, right? And you're gonna feel bad about it, and you're gonna feel bad, and you're gonna come and say, Mike, I wish I could give more. It's like, no, 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 no. No, blessings on you. You're giving generously from what you have. God is pleased. He's happy. You don't have them. Maybe, maybe you're a wife and you're married to a non-believer and you, he doesn't want you to give anything and you just can't hardly give anything. You're gonna give your Starbucks money or whatever it is. And, and it's like God is gonna be honored and blessed by that. And I want you to hear that. On the other end of the spectrum, I truly believe this, that for many of us, if not most of us, I believe God is gonna ask us to give the largest gift we've ever given for a kingdom advancing project in our life. I'll tell you, in my own life, uh, early this summer, I was beginning to pray over this because I, I knew this day would happen. I knew this day would come. I knew this day would come when I would be standing before you as your pastor, as your leader, and, and I would be asking you to go through this two-step process. Give yourself to God. Give as he leads. Be generous. Let God speak to you, right? I knew this day was going to come, and so early on, when my first prayer request is, God, would you speak with me early? I need to know what you're asking Lynn and I to do because, because uh, when I get up there, I, I want to ask with full integrity. I want to work this out. I think one of the marks of leaders, leaders lead. And so if you're leading, you need to lead. And so I, I just want to have great integrity. I want to have processed this. I want to have done exactly what I'm asking them to do. 
And Lynn and I have gone through four of these projects in our life, four of these kinds of campaigns. Two at my previous church, uh, the Freedom Fund here a couple years ago, and this, this is number four. Everyone has been a worthy project. And every time, God has asked Lynn and I to give generously, and every time, just like in Haggai's day, he's blessed us for it. Right? Every time. But as we prayed about this, I feel strongly that God is calling Lynn and I to make the largest gift by far we've ever given to any kingdom advance, advancement project. And the reason I'm sharing that is not because it's so impressive, because I may be giving way less than you're giving. And it's, not, it's not about the amount. The reason I'm sharing this is because I believe that for many, if not most of us, that will be the case. And, and so if that's what God's saying, I'm challenging you, rise to the challenge. Embrace the vision. Follow well and do it with great joy. There in your note sheet, I love this verse from 2 Corinthians 9. We looked at it last year where, where Paul's talking about giving and he says, each man, you find it 9-7, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give. In other words, in context, he's, he's prayed about it. He's kind of sensed what God's calling him to do. So he says, each man should, should follow through and give what he's decided in his heart to give. Catch this, not reluctantly, right? Not, not an obligation, not under compulsion. There's no guilt, no one's twisting arms. One of my prayers, and this is God, uh, I want to lead this charge. I'm all up for leading this charge, but I want to lead with absolute integrity. I don't want any manipulation. Uh, I don't want any arm twisting. I want absolute integrity. If you can guard my heart, if I can deliver, then I'm all over. I'm, I'm excited to vision cast. I'm excited to educate. I'm, I'm all over challenging the people, but I just want to guard my heart. I want to do this absolute integrity. And, and so, so Paul goes on to say, not reluctantly or under compulsion. No one's twisting your arm. No one's manipulating you. Just the vision has been cast. He says, for God loves what kind of a giver? A cheerful giver. And you remember, when we went over this, that word for cheerful is hilarion. We get our word what? Hilarious. So here's what I'm telling you. If you can't give hilariously, keep your money until you can. This is a spiritual vision that we've got. It's a spiritual assignment. If you give grudgingly, you give under compulsion, you feel manipulated, Keep it. God doesn't need that kind of money. God is looking for people whose heart is set on following him, whose heart is passionate about pleasing him, people whose, whose heart has been captured by Jesus, our love for Jesus, and our passion for the things that Jesus cares about, people that want to follow Jesus on his mission to seek and save the lost. If you're there, then give, and give as God calls you to give. If you're not there, then don't give. Keep it. It's as simple as that, right? Be because this church will be built by people who have caught the vision, who are surrendered to Jesus, who are listening well and follow. And isn't that the church we want to be? We want to listen and we want to follow. So, so men and women, there's the challenge. I I've cast the vision. The ball is now in your court. I'm asking you to come with me. I'm asking you to follow me as I follow Christ. I'm asking you to go before God, surrender completely, ask him what he wants you to do, and then next week we're gonna have a party as we bring our gifts hilariously for the sake of his kingdom. Amen? Amen.
Amen. Let's pray. God, we're just so thankful for what you're doing in our lives. We're so thankful for who you are. We're so thankful that when you come into our life, you change us to be like you. Lord, your word says that you are the one who is rich, who became poor, that through your poverty, we might become rich. You are the ultimate model of generosity. And you say that when we come to you, we surrender to your leadership, that you will release your Holy Spirit in our life and that he will transform us and he'll change us. And one of the ways he does that is by creating generosity. And God, with summer, we studied that about the Macedonian Christians. They were going through hard times. They were financially strapped. They were being persecuted. And yet, and yet you so graced their lives that they begged Paul for, they begged him for the privilege of being part of this project. And God, your word says that they gave all that they could afford. They gave more that they could afford because you had so graced them they were becoming like you. And so God, that's what we pray. As we pray as we go into this week, we pray it will be a holy week. We, we pray it will be a week in your presence. We pray that as you pray that you would move us to give to your kingdom. We, we pray that you would put a passion in our hearts for lost people. We pray you'd be absolutely clear with each of us of what you're calling us to give. And we pray you'd bring us back next week that we would give with great joy. We'd make our commitments with great joy. And the following week, as we come back, we make our first gifts, these over and above gifts, we pray there would be tremendous hilarity as we're just so excited to be a part of something that will last forever and to finally be able to invest in something that will outlast this life for the next life. And so God, today as we come, as we share our, our gifts today, as we give our offerings for the ongoing ministry, we pray that these gifts you would use to unleash a movement, to create a city on a hill, in the coming years, hundreds and thousands of people will come to know you. Lives will be changed. Generations will be changed. Marriages will be healed. Addictions will be overcome. Lives will be resurrected. And you're all for your name and your fame. We carry out this assignment. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. That's our prayer. The kingdom would come in the here and now. It's a Haggai moment for us. It's a, it's a critical season. It's a season that will define our church for years and years to come. It, it's a season that will determine hundreds and thousands of people will come to Christ because we're here and now, because we seize this day, because we respond like the people of Haggai's day. And so I'm inviting you, come with me on this journey. Let's Let's seize the day. Let's not miss this opportunity. It's been coming. God's been building for this for a long time. Let's embrace this. Let's be the church of Jesus. Let, let his kingdom come here and now. Amen? Amen. 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 Next week is going to be a very special weekend as, as we come and we, we make our commitments in the next weekend as we, we bring our first gifts and baptisms and all the things that's going to happen in the next couple of weeks. But this week is going to be a very special week in our life groups as well. This week, uh, you're going to be reading in your book, uh, we're going to be reading a chapter on promoting the gospel through our giving. It just fits so perfectly with what we're talking about, how we join with God and partner with him through our finances to unleash the gospel, his kingdom. And so that'd be great. We'll be talking about that some. But also this week, you know, the last couple of weeks, I've been challenging you to be praying 
asking God, is, is there a person in your life, we've called them a one life, a person in your life, maybe more than one, that is already in your sphere of influence, that God wants to partner with you to bring him to the kingdom. He wants you to partner with him. He wants you to begin praying for them on a regular basis for their salvation. He wants you to build relationship with them so when the time is right, they ask questions, you can answer their questions, you can share a little of your life, share a little of, of God's story and your story, and then invite them to come and see. And, and so I know for many of you, you've already have your one life. Just last week at the 24 hours of prayer, one of my favorite things was just praying with so many people of our one life, so all over the room, praying for people that don't even know they're being prayed for, people that aren't Christ followers now, but we're just praying for these by name. And so this week, we want to carry that out in our life groups. And so you're going to be asked this week, when you come to your life group, it's part of your study this week, that you, you would be, you'd come and say, here's my one life, or here's, I'm not sure it's my one life, but here's a person I'm praying, it might be my one life, or I still need prayer about my one life. But we would share that together. We'd go around the circle. We'd all share the name of our one life, a little bit about them. And then we would begin to break, we'd probably break into smaller groups of three or four people, and, and we will pray by name so that this week, in our church, hundreds and perhaps thousands of people will be prayed for by name for their salvation. And it's gonna be a very special time. And so I want you to prepare for that, come prepared. If you're leading a life group, uh, I wanna warn you, it's gonna take quite a bit of time to share these, the one lives and then to pray. So as a life group leader, be sure to leave plenty of time. I know Joel's emailed you already about this, but I also know that you often don't read Joel's emails. <laughs> or mine. Anyway, I want to give you a heads up. Until then, may the Lord be with you. May the Christ of the resurrection be alive and well in your life this week. May he rise up and in you with new life, a new life of love and freedom and power, and a life of generosity. He's given you the Holy Spirit as a gift of your conversion. So listen to the Holy Spirit this week. Spend time with God. Set some time aside to pray and say, God, what is my part of this assignment? And then surrender that to him. Experience the joy that comes from that. Rest in his promise that he will take care and bless you as you give generously, as we've seen today in Agai. And then come next week with great joy as we come to celebrate and make our commitments with great hilarity to our God. Amen? Amen. God bless you guys. I love you. I'll see you there. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening. <laughs>